You may be seated. Good morning. Glad you're here with us to worship. I don't know if the name Buddy Hackett means anything to you. It may not, but it uh, takes me back to my teen years when I didn't have school the next day or during the summer. I'd stay up and watch Johnny Carson, and he'd be on there, and he's a pretty funny guy. Not a, not a social scientist, but a comedian. And he said this, and I quote this every once in a while because I think it makes sense. Don't carry a grudge while you're carrying the grudge of the other guys out dancing. Now, he, he says in a humorous way what studies have shown. There have been multiple studies funded on forgiveness. And the primary discovery out of many, most of those studies, if not all of them, is that the person who gains the most from forgiveness is the person who forgives. Not the person who receives it, but the person who forgives. And we talked last week how when you decide to be, become a follower of Christ, he demands that you become a forgiver. And he does this because he loves you. He loves me. Out of love, he demands that his followers become forgivers. We looked also at the importance of addressing the injustice gap in relationships if they're going to thrive. After I'm wronged, when somebody hurts me, when they offend me, when they disappoint me, when they let me down, I want them to pay. And this creates a gap. It creates distance between myself and the person who's hurt me or yourself and the person who's hurt you. There's this gap that exists. It's an injustice gap. We, When we get hurt, when somebody does wrong, we want them to pay. This is built into us. We have this justice motive built into us. It reflects who God is. It's a part of the, the way that we reflect his image. And so, after I'm wronged, I want them to pay. If they suffer, after they suffer, the gap's smaller, but it doesn't disappear. In, in the small everyday matters, if they suffer through an apology, that's a phrase we use, isn't it? They, I, I suffered through an apology. Because it, it, there is a certain amount of pain and suffering that goes with humiliating yourself to admit that you're wrong. And if, if a person apologizes, if they suffer, if they pay the price in some way, the gap gets smaller, but it doesn't close. And what happens in relationships normally is this, this pattern develops where I get hurt, I hurt you back, you hurt me back for hurting you, you know, and it just goes on in a vicious cycle. There's only one way to deal with the gap that shows up. If I absorb the pain and forgive, the gap disappears. That, that cycle of retaliation is the normal human thing. But if we absorb the pain and forgive others, we thrive. And, and we need to find the power to do that. that. That's what it takes to break the cycle. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. Bible says we've offended God, that hurts him, that grieves him. When we, he gave us life, and we took our life, and we, we used it selfishly. We decided to live independent of him. This grieves him. Because he made us. It's right for us to do what he wants. And so, we've offended God, but in, in spite of that, he, he loves us. He, he's gracious. And, the scripture tells us that Jesus 
stepped into the gap. He absorbed the pain on the cross that we deserved, and we find forgiveness in this. He absorbed the penalty for our, pen, uh, for our sin on the cross and closed the gap between ourselves and God. And we're going to find out that is where the power to forgive comes from. It goes back to the cross. We're going to walk through this and see how that works. But Jesus set the example. He closed the gap. He showed us how to close the gap. And he taught us about forgiveness. And in a conversation with Peter, Jesus answers this question. What, what does it mean to forgive someone? He also answers the question, how, how many times do I have to do this? <laughs> how many Jesus, uh, G- Jesus is... Uh, with his disciples, Peter asked him this question, Lord, how many times am I expected to forgive my brother? <laughs> this guy, you know, he, he, Andrew was his brother, must have been driving him crazy. You know, he said, how many times do I have to let it go? And he says, seven times? That's a very, that's, that's more than normal. In, in that day, they thought you have to forgive somebody about four times. That was their legalistic rule. After four, you're done, you're out, no way, I don't have to deal with that anymore. So Peter says seven, Jesus says, no, no, 70 times seven. He, he puts it out of the realm of being able to do the math, because about 99, you're going to lose track. Okay, where was I? Where was I on this? He puts it out of the realm, and then he tells a story that is, is packed with truth. And I go back to this story Whenever I think about forgiveness, because Jesus is a master storyteller. So he tells this story, and out of this story, we can pull some things out that teach us about forgiveness. He says this, it's in Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process... One of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. And in the Greek language, this was originally written in, or it was probably actually Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. And um, in that language, it says he, he was owed 10,000 talents. A talent is 20 years wages. And some people I read, the highest figure I read was like 75 to 100 million dollars is what he owed. But 20 years wages, if you take... Minimum wage today, and you take 20 years wages times 10,000, it's $3.5 billion. I did the math. I'm not that great, but I have a calculator. And I, I did the math. $3.5 billion. It doesn't really matter what it is, but the point is the debt is astronomical. There is no way this guy is going to be able to pay this back. There is just no way. And it says he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. This is the way it was in in this day and age, in this culture. But the man fell down. He had no choice, okay? But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Yeah, right, really. I mean, this was the only option. Maybe he'll get some mercy. It says the master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Now, this was the only hope the man had. And we see something very important about forgiveness in this part of the story. If we move on too quickly, we miss it. We miss the full impact 
of the story. When the owner forgave the debt, the debt didn't just disappear. Somebody had to absorb it. The master, the owner, who represents God in the story, absorbed the debt and it cost him millions, maybe billions. It cost him a tremendous amount. In fact, to absorb the the debt that we owe God, it cost Jesus his life. It cost him everything. But when the man left the king, the story goes on, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, just a few thousand. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Now, there's a complete disconnect here. Uh, between the graciousness of the master and the situation that is before this servant, uh, who had just been forgiven an astronomical amount. His fellow servant does what he did. He fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. And actually, there's a chance that he could pay it. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. This is a master masterful story by Jesus because... At this point, you want to execute justice on this guy. <laughs> I mean, you, <laughs> hello. You know, from our vantage point, we're hearing the story and, whoa, what is this guy thinking? So when some of the servants saw this, other servants, they were very upset. They, you know, like us, they got a real response here. Come on. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Here's the lesson from that, that part of the story right there. Unforgiveness brings isolation and torment. That, that's the fact. It's like, I said last week, it's like hitting the self-destruct button in your life. So Jesus draws out that picture there of how it affects us and what it does. It separates us from God, our fellowship with God. We're forgiven by God, but when we choose to be unforgiving, we're not in sync with him. We're not in fellowship with him, so it creates havoc. It's like hitting the self-destruct button. And then Jesus gets to his major point. That's what my heavenly father, this is an answer to Peter's question. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This forgiveness must happen in the heart. And, and when it does, that very central part of each of us is the heart, where we make decisions. The, the per, the, who we really are, it's, where, it's the person we really are deep down. This forgiveness has to happen there. And when it does, peace emerges. With or without complete restoration of of the relationship. Forgiveness is a separate matter because forgiveness depends on you and I. But reconciliation depends on two people, two parties are involved. But this is the first step toward restoration of the relationship or reconciliation. Peace emerges when we find, when we choose to forgive and we begin to experience it. This, this is packed with truth. Forgiveness is the key to breaking with the negative things in our past. 
It's the way to break away from them. It breaks the chain of the debts that you owe and the debts that are owed to you in relationships. That's why the Lord Prayer says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's a daily thing. It's so important that Jesus says, whenever you pray, as you pray each day, this, this is what you need to focus on. You need to let it go. To forgive means to let it go. Not to hold on to it. Not to hold the grudge. Not to hang on to it. But to let it go. It literally means to send it away. It means you send the debt away. You, you let it go. You release it. And, and forgiveness breaks the chain of debts. So how do we forgive? To forgive, I must First of all, identify the debt. Now, many times we don't want to do this, but we need to go ahead and answer the question, what do they owe me? Somebody's wronged you, and you need to think through specifically, what do they owe me? And we need to be specific, because if we forgive in general, it's too vague. It doesn't really help. It doesn't bring any kind of healing. It, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's not... This process is more like surgery than it is anything else. Some of us have deep hurts that we've held on to for for long periods of time. And the best thing to do as you experience hurt is to set some time aside, however long you think you need, half a day, a day, and just list all of the hurts that a person, if there's one person, if there's a few people, Uh, maybe your family or work situation, whatever it is, just list one by one all the hurts. Identify the debt and then symbolically cancel the debt. Mark mark the sheet paid in full. Put it in a shredder, whatever, whatever, burn it in in something. But identify the debt. Make a list. And I want to encourage you, don't rush this. It's a process. It's a painful process. It's more like surgery than the stabbing wound that you experience that doesn't heal from the hurt if you don't forgive. But sometimes we quickly forgive in our minds to, to attempt to avoid the pain. We just forgive. We just, okay, I'll just, I'm just going to let, let this go. I'm going to pretend this didn't happen. We deflect the pain, and we vaguely offer forgiveness. Well, I'm just going to be forgiving. I need to be sure I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to be forgiving. This doesn't work. Because what you're doing is you're packing dynamite inside of you. If you don't forgive from the heart, you're packing dynamite inside of you that is going to cause some real damage in the future. It's either going to cause damage as you explode in anger or... As you implode and your health is destroyed. So don't do that. Don't rush the process. Work through it. But don't stuff. You've got to work through it. Identify the debt. You don't want to forgive too slow either. You don't want to go too fast. You don't want to go too slow. And we'll talk about that later. And really next week we'll talk a lot about that. But identify the debt and then cancel the debt. What that means is I decide. We talked about the two components of forgiveness last week. The decision to forgive, decisional forgiveness, and emotional forgiveness. To cancel the debt means I decide that they do not owe me from now on. 
I've, I've wiped the debt. I've sent it away. I've let it go. What we tend to do is we wait for the person to pay for the, the crime before we forgive them. Or we wait for them to apologize. And what we do when we wait is we put our joy in their hands. We've just handed it to them. And it depends on what they do. That's not wise. And while we're waiting, many of us, you may do this, I've done this, we have an imaginary conversation in our head. And the conversation goes something like this. Why, who do you think you are to do something like that to me? How could you say that? What do you? And, and we, we, are let, we are putting them in their place. Now, I've, I've had these conversations while we're waiting and seething and before we've canceled the debt, we're, and, and the conversation many times takes place in a public place because we want them to be humiliated. So we're having this conversation. It's going on. And, Don't wait. You can't afford to wait until they apologize because that day may never come and you get destroyed in the meantime. It's not enough anyway. If they apologize, it's not going to be enough to close the gap. You've got to deal with that gap. You have to. And finally, to forgive, I identify the debt, I cancel the debt, and I refuse to use the debt against them ever again. I'm not going to do it. I will not pay them back for the harm done. This is the decision that you've made when you decide to forgive. Normally, we stay general and vague, and we forgive in general, but the feelings aren't dealt with, the specific things aren't dealt with, and it shows up in a cold shoulder, harsh words, uh, some kind of strategy that, that hurts them. Whatever it is, but we see and we want to hurt them back if we don't specifically forgive them. If I do that, I'm wrong. And then I need forgiveness and the gap is just getting wider and all over the place. It's going, going crazy. Authentic forgiveness is never cheap. It always costs something. That's, that's at the heart of Jesus' story. You see that it's expensive to forgive, but it breaks the chains of the debt. It breaks the change of debt and brings peace if you choose to forgive. If you refuse to forgive, you chain yourself to the debt and the pain, and it bogs you down in, in life. It's like being chained to everyone who's ever hurt you throughout your lifetime. If you're an unforgiving person, you chain yourself and you're dragging them with you everywhere, and you're trying to get move around with the burden of, of dragging these people around with you. So God knows this, and he loves you and I enough to demand that we forgive. So that's, that's why he does it. R.T. Kendall wrote a book, Total Forgiveness, very, very helpful book. He talks about a cycle that he experiences. And he said at one point he'd been hurt, and he was wrestling with forgiving the people who had hurt him, who had inflicted the damage, and he, he recognized that when, this is what he says, when I let a spirit of total forgiveness reign in my heart, the peace would return. I'd have peace. But when I would dwell with resentment on the likelihood that they wouldn't get caught, the peace would leave. So I was left with a choice. Peace 
or no peace. And he worked through the forgiveness. See, forgiveness isn't just one treatment option available for emotional healing. Like you can go to the store if you have a headache. You can go Advil, Aleve, um, Tylenol, Excedrin migraine, whatever, you know, whatever your choice is. Sorry for those companies that I left out. Um, Forgiveness isn't just one treatment option where we can go on the shelf and pick one. It is the only option. And if you refuse to forgive, you're only hurting yourself. It's the only way to be healed of the pain that you didn't deserve. Forgiveness must happen in the heart. When it does, peace emerges, with or without a complete restoration of the relationship. So let's look at how to break that chain. How do we break the chain that ties us to the debt and experience peace? First thing we have to do is redirect painful memories that recycle in our mind. Because they're coming back. You can decide to forgive. If you're really hurt, the memories are coming back. If you've hurt someone and you need forgiveness... And and you, it's 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 a scene in your life and in your mind that you really regret. They're coming back. I'm telling you, they're coming back. And so, to break the chain, you have to deal with the recurring painful memories that recycle in our mind. How do we do that? Philippians four is packed with instruction for us here. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. This is important. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Then God steps in and he brings his peace. This is how you do it. If we just let our thoughts go, they're going to gravitate to a very destructive place, mostly to payback and revenge. So we need to direct them to where they they need to go. The keys to peace are in this passage. First of all, pray about everything. As you're wrestling with unforgiveness, as you're wrestling with the hurt and the pain, pray about it. That means have a real conversation with God about the things that you're wrestling with. If you want to see some examples, read the Psalms. It's amazing, David. Whoa. I mean, he is laying it all out before God there. Dealing with unforgiveness toward his enemies. Pray about it. Talk to God about it. Thank him for all that he's done. This this gets you in touch with the mercy and grace of God. It, It gets you in touch with all that he's forgiven you. And then finally, fix your thoughts on the right things, on the truth. For me, that means I need to really fix my thoughts because they're messed up at times. You know, when I'm mad, my thoughts get get sideways. And I've got to fix them, but I also need to fix them on the truth. I need to focus my thoughts on the truth. 
Don't suppress them. Don't try to suppress them. You're not going to be able. You're not be very successful at that. I mean, you you can probably drink some alcohol, take some drugs, and forget them. But that's not that's not good. That's not helpful. Don't suppress them. Redirect them. Rain or snow. This is a, this is a beautiful picture out there today. You can see the snow. But as that snow starts to melt and makes its way down the mountain, what happens? When that first begins is there are rivulets that form. And wherever the path of least resistance is, the rivulets form. And over time, the rivulets become deep chasms. To change the pattern of the waterfall off the mountain, you have to build a dam and redirect the flow. You have to do something. You have to take action. To redirect the flow. Our thoughts are just like that. They, they will naturally flow in the way of least resistance. They're going to gravitate in, in the way that's natural to us. And in this instance, not helpful. We must choose to fix them on the right things. So we pray. Father, I'm, I'm wrestling with this again. Will, will you help me? I don't want to forgive them. Will you help me with this? I really don't want to. Thank you, God, for all you've done. You you helped me over it. You've given me my life. You've forgiven me completely. Thank you for what you've done. After praying, thanking God, you have to refuse the wrong thoughts and replace them with the truth. I've let that go already, God. I, I've let it go. It's paid in full. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna rehearse this again. I'm not gonna rehearse the memory of that again. If I don't forgive, you gotta tell yourself the truth. If I don't forgive, then I'm being proud and arrogant. I'm only hurting myself. I, I could have done the same thing. God, uh, will you use this pain? I know you'll use this pain for my good. Will you use it for my good? Even this pain. It's one that hurts like this. You've given me all I need more. I don't have to have what they owe me. I don't have to have it to survive. I can live without that. I can let it go. You have to focus. You have to fix your thoughts on the truth. And what helps me when I get into this is I shift my mind to a passage of Scripture that that guides my thoughts in the right direction. For me, when I'm dealing with regret, which sometimes... I have scenes in my mind from my past that I regret, and they overwhelm me. And they, they, when they hit me, what the enemy Satan wants to do is he wants to use them to just beat me up. And so I shift my mind when I'm dealing with regret. I shift my mind many times to Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. And it says, and God raised us up with him. It's not in your outline. This is free. It's not in your outline or on the screens. It says, and God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show, he might display, he might make a spectacle. He might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And I thought, you know what? I should have known better. That scene rolls in my mind. I should have known better. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, that's true. Maybe so. But you did it, Randy. You're just like the rest of the human race. I humble myself and I read that passage and I realize God can use me 
as a display, a spectacle of his grace, the incomparable riches of his grace. So even though I haven't been perfect, and I haven't, even though there are things in my past that are wrong, I can, I can be used by God even in that as a display of the riches of his grace. I've got to humble myself to do that. I have to. But he, he, that's what he wants to do. Total forgiveness is a lifelong commitment. And you're going to have to practice it every single day until you die. Keep putting into practice these things. That's what the passage says. No one said it would be easy. Listen to what Kendall says. If you're prepared to make a covenant to forgive, a covenant is an agreement between uh, before God that you make. Uh, if you're prepared to make a covenant to forgive and to forgive totally, you must realize you will have to renew that covenant tomorrow. And it may even be harder to do tomorrow than it is today. It could even be harder next week or next year, but you go back to the covenant, you go back to the decision that you've made, and you work through the process all over again. And over time, the pain subsides. It's not going to completely go away, but it actually becomes productive. It becomes productive pain. If you try to suppress it, then it doesn't go away and it's useless. It's just rumbling around in your heart like this. But if, if you work through the process, every time God is glorified because you should end up praising and thanking him for his grace and kindness. And that gives you what you need to move forward. So this is, this is how we deal with these thoughts. We have to deal with the past and it comes back to haunt us at times. That's the enemy's intent. But we can take the, the memories, the regret, and we can use them, we can turn them by the grace of God with his help. We can redirect them in a productive direction and, and let God work in our hearts through it. This keeps our hearts tender, and next week we're going to look at how important that is, to have a tender heart, to, to, to stay tender-hearted. But we have to deal with our past in this way. You and I must redirect, redirect our painful memories and regrets and then we have to deal with the present. So that's how we deal with the past. We have to deal with the present. And in the present, I have to deal with anger before it does its damage. It, it's damaging. And we have to deal with it in the moment. Ephesians 4, 26, 27 says, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. I, I, I love the Bible because it's very real. We're going to be angry. That's normal. You're, you're going to be angry. A while back, a long time ago, I used to try not to be angry. Very difficult to do. You can't do it. You're going to get angry. That's normal. But we should never allow our anger to take control over what we say or what we do or the decisions that we make. This means we have to deal with our anger. We have to deal with it quickly. Let sundown be an alarm to remind you to deal with anger that you haven't let go for that day, unless you live in Alaska. Okay? I mean, you can go months in Alaska, and the sun doesn't go down. It's up. So unless you live there, let sundown be a trigger. I think the idea is 24-hour period. 
Okay, 24 hours. Let that, let that be a trigger. Let it be an alarm to deal with the anger. When you don't deal with the anger daily, it spills over into other relationships and every area of your life, really. If we let days and weeks and months and years go by without dealing with anger, we lose sight of the source of the anger. And circumstances shift, people change, we have new scenery, but we take our anger into the new circumstances. And then we forget the source, and we, can't, we, we have difficulty dealing with it. We don't know where it's coming from. Here's a great illustration of how this works from the movie uh, Seabiscuit. So let's watch this together. Hey, Sahib. Kind of small, isn't he? Gonna look a lot smaller in a second, Georgie. You got five bucks, says he doesn't. supposed to do? Let him get away with that? Well, yeah. When he's 40 to 1. He almost put me in the rail. Well, did he? Look, we had a plan. He found me, Tom. What am I supposed to do? He cut me off. He found me. Son. Son. What are you so mad at? It's a great question. What did you bring into that race that just lit you up when that happened, took your mind off the goal? What was it? That's a, that's a great question. Imagine the freeway getting cut off. You know, where would that come from? Wow, I don't know. That's what happens. We forget the source. We don't deal with it, and we're just about to blow. The, the verse we looked at says, give no opportunity to the devil. And it's translated in one translation, a foothold. Give, don't give the devil a foothold, like a wrestling match. If you get a foothold, you can take the guy down. 
You can, you can take them to the mat. It's also translated stronghold. Literally, the, oppor- the word opportunity means a stronghold or a base of operation. And unresolved anger gives the devil a base of operation in your life. So forgive and forgive and then forgive again. You, you don't want the enemy to have a base to work destruction in your life. You, you don't want to allow him to do that. Christ followers are commanded to put off our old ways and put on the new ways of the Lord Jesus. Look at Colossians 3. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility. Circle that in your mind because we're going to come back to that next week. Humility is crucial for working through this process of forgiveness. Meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. That, that phrase keeps showing up in the New Testament. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. It takes my mind to that story Jesus told. The millions, the billions that we've been forgiven. We, we forgive graciously as the Lord has forgiven us. How does God forgive? He, he doesn't build a case against you and I. As we sin, as we offend him, as we, as we hurt him, he's not chalking it up. He's not building a case against us. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, everybody after that, he knew how we would act. But he chose to forgive anyway. Forgiveness costs Jesus his life. It doesn't cost you and I that much. It cost him his life. To cancel a debt costs us a few dollars many times, maybe a thousand dollars, whatever it is. It doesn't cost us. At the cross, all of us lost our right to refuse to forgive others. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we understand this. We know we've lost the right to refuse to forgive other people. If we'll work through the painful memories and regrets Our hurts can become memorials to God's grace and forgiveness in our lives. That takes me back to Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. Incomparable, we can display the incomparable riches of the grace of God. But we've got to wrestle with our painful memories and redirect our thoughts to the truth. When we work through the process of talking to God, thanking Him, Filling our minds with the truth, focusing on the truth, fixing our thoughts on the truth in faith. He's honored. It displays his grace and peace emerges. There is no erase button for painful memories. But if we respond to God and we work through them in the right way, if we're real about what's going on, we work through them in the right way. We can glorify God in them. They can be memorials to his grace. The Bible teaches that there is major power to forgive in the experience of being forgiven. This is the way to break the chain. The chain that ties us to the hurts of the past, the regrets of our past. We accept God's forgiveness and we offer it to others. 
And then ask the Lord, ask God to develop a spirit of forgiveness in us. Because how else has God forgiven? He forgives us ahead of time. We can decide to do the same. I I forgive ahead of time. You don't owe me. I refuse to build a case against you. But when we start, we've got to work through the process again. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, and there is freedom in doing that. Tons of freedom. I'd like to wrap up the message by looking at next steps. The first next step that I'd suggest for you, if you pull out your connection card again and look at the back, the next steps are there. They're at the bottom of the listening guide, but this could be our our first next step if the Lord leads you to, to take it. Ask God to help me develop a spirit of forgiveness. And circle one of those. Maybe what you're struggling with right now are painful memories, painful regret. Circle that. If it's anger, daily anger, I've just got to deal with it. I've got to find out where it's coming from. Circle that. But make a commitment to God. This week, God, I'm going to start working through this process. And I want to develop a spirit of forgiveness. Would you help me with this? And then another step could be for the very first time you decide to accept God's forgiveness in Christ and follow him as Lord. That's, that's the decision you're making. You, you, if you experience his forgiveness, you find in his forgiveness and help the power to forgive other people. And then the, the, the last step would be to volunteer to help with the thank you that's coming up. If you're a first-time guest, we're really glad you're here. We have a gift for you. It's right outside those double doors on the table that's a little taller to the left. It's a book called The Case for Christ. Uh, I hope you find that helpful and pick that up on your way out as you go. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you for the truth that you show us and you teach us. And as we get into the Bible, we understand more and more of who you are, how much you love us, your kindness to us. And I ask God that you'd help. Help us to take the steps that you've laid on our hearts to take this morning. Help us to learn to be forgiving from the heart, to to let things go, to show kindness and compassion to those around us in humility. Lord, help us to do this with the power that only you can provide in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.